What's the nature of your emergency? Good morning, police, fire, military, and families, and to everybody who is listening in on the Tactical Living Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Walton, and today, if you want to know what an officer involved shooting, PTSI, keto, a DNA match, and a 20-pound challenge coin all have in common, then you're going to want to stick around because we have Mr. Keto 5 himself, Eric Reynolds. Eric, good morning. How are you? Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me. We are so excited to have you. It's been a long time coming. I know you popped on my schedule like months ago and we've been waiting and waiting. And good morning, Don. We are doing a giveaway to whoever comments the most within 24 hours on yesterday's promo thread and today's thread. And I'm gonna send you a 20 pound pack of beef jerky, which is gonna make a lot more sense when Eric gets into a little bit of his lifestyle. So Eric, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Well, I'm a retired police officer from Boynton Beach, Florida. That's down there near Palm Beach County, Fort Lauderdale, the Miami area. It's a pretty busy city. You know, I did about 19 years and, you know, I got out in 2019, you know, and now my family and I full time camp and RV. We travel the United States and I'm just trying to spread the word about my health journey and trying to help as many fellow officers as I can at this point. Now, you weren't the first one in law enforcement in your family, which I think is an awesome story. So can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So that summer I was going to retire. You know, things were just going really well, you know, mentally when you know you're out. You know, I was going to retire on my 50th birthday. So it was three months away. I was floating high. And then I get an email from 23andMe that says, um, you know, hi, my name's Dave Stull. And according to 23andMe, you know, we're, we're half brothers, you know, and there was more to it than that. But it was holy cow! I found an older brother, a cop in Orlando, two hours away, and it was just mind blowing. You know, we have four more siblings we had to tell. He's got two sisters on the birth mother's side. We had to tell my dad that he had another son, which was conversation. It should, should have been a sitcom, honestly. What was going on at that point? But anyways, yeah. he's a retired police officer now. He does the RV thing. Also, we've camped together, and he was part of our. You know, he's my garden angel. He showed up and then he got me on this path to get out of law enforcement and go this other direction in life. And your mom, too. Yeah. Yeah. My mom's a retired homicide sergeant from Miami-Dade. She was a cop during the uh, like 75 to 2003. So she was there when the Colombians were shooting up the streets and malls and doing undercover work because she's Cuban. So she was able to speak the language and act like a call girl, like deep stuff, undercover stuff that you don't want your mom to <laughs> And then I found out, you know, I was like 10, you know, playing with my G.I. Joes and, I, and she's playing like real life cops and robbers. So it was pretty exciting. Yeah, she's got some big things coming in the future, too. Was she an influence for you to decide to get into law enforcement in the first place? She was an influence not to get into law enforcement in the first place because I saw her work schedule and also being a hospice negotiator and, you know, being a full time, trying to be a full time mom and, you know, being employed full time as an officer and, you know, we always had food on the table. She always provided. She was always there for me. But I saw what it, you know, how hard she had to work. And I, I was like, man, I'd rather become a fireman or something. No, no I'm just kidding. You fireman. Plan <laughs> 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 a joke. But anyways, I thought it was just too much. I wanted to get into like NFL security or FBI or customs at that point. You know, and I worked through college and graduated from Florida State. I thought that was my route. And I started catching shoplifters 
for a store like Macy's and there weren't Macy's called Burdines. And then I ended up getting hired by Boynton Beach. They're like, why don't you just come join us? We have, you know, Batman toys around us. We got tasers, we got handcuffs, we got guns and asp, all kinds of stuff. And all I was running around with was handcuffs, tackling people. So, you know, I ended up thinking about the pension and the, and the jobs, an honorable job, you know? And I was like, yeah, I could do this. And, you know, I learned how to talk to people on that job. It was like the, the best time of my life was that first 10 years in a cop. How old were you when you first got into law enforcement? Uh, I got into the academy at 32. So I was in that retail security world for about eight to 10 years. And then I got hired by Boynton Beach. So I was the old, one of the older guys in my academy class, but I don't know, I was more mature, you know, and more likely to take things slow in certain stressful situations, you know, and kind of think outside the box, not be so direct. And that ended up helping me in the day of my shooting, I think. Yeah. And um, I want to talk about that in as much detail as you're comfortable with, because you had shared with me um, the the radio call out from that day. So walk us through everything that you are willing to share and can remember from that day. Well, it was a typical day of it was Tuesday, June 12, 2012. And I was coming up, getting ready to get off shift. Night guys were coming on. And, you know, sometimes you have that little overlap where we're all on board together. And somebody, this guy had robbed a bank in the city right next door to us in Delray Beach. And he left, it was an R bank robbery. It was a black man. He was wearing white boots. And he was wearing like a white mask or something. Ironically, where the mask crazes now. That guy was robbing <laughs> banks. So, he uh, ended up fleeing the scene and he left in a, they said a red Lincoln town car with a, I'm sorry, a red crown Vic with a white top, kind of a bright car, you know, something you're going to be seeing. And I ended up picking a uh, Lincoln, a red Lincoln with a white top and a handicap tag. So he had passed me going the other direction, not super fast. I made a U-turn get behind him and I'm seeing the handicap tag. I'm like, ah, maybe it's not him, you know. And then he stops in the middle of the road for no reason. I didn't even light him up. He had no reason to stop, but he knew I was, something was up. You know, my little spidey senses were saying, hey, what's going on with this, you know? And it could be not a bank robber. It could be a guy that just has warrants or something, you know, or has weed on him, you know? Some people's reactions are sometimes you just are unpredictable. So he stops there and I stop and I call it out and I'm waiting for my backup because I'm not going to jump out right now. No reason to, right? And uh, that's where I'm talking about the maturity. I could have jumped out and ran up on him, pulled my gun out and be like, hey, or just ask for ID and then he could have shot me. You know, he could have had to jump on me. So after about four long seconds of sitting there, he guns it. And now we're in a car chase. Lights and sirens, just like you see on TV. And I've been a few chases, but this is my first bank robber that I actually located. And we go through some parking lots. It's only about a mile, mile and a half chase. He clips a couple of cars, but nothing to break down the car. He keeps going. And we go down a local road and we're thinking he's going to jump out because that local road, you know, it's Railroad Avenue. There's a train track and a small little neighborhood like he's going to bail. And all of a sudden he hits another car head on that was on a turn. And then we roll up on him a little bit too fast because we didn't expect him to come to a sudden stop. So now we're really not in a really good tactical spot. And I start to jump out of my car, pulling the gun out, expecting him to run. And you see the door starting to swing. And he can't get it open. And all of a sudden I see the gun come out and I see the muzzle flash. I see the ground stop popping. You know, I'm jumping. Oh, you know, oh shit. You know, and I'm firing suppression fire back at him. Just like stop shooting at me. I think I hit the house behind the car in one of my shots. And then we get behind a, I get behind a telephone pole, kind of bladed myself and Austin Monroe, who's already exchanged gunfire also with him runs next to me. 
and then we just start laying down rounds. And he can't get the gun around the door because he don't know to shoot through the window. He's not thinking like that. He's trying to get this gun like that. So we just put 38 rounds into the car. We hit him 14 times. He died at the scene. Um, I was shot through my left foot and I took a graze off my right shin, which was very lucky it didn't hit me in the shin because that would have shattered my shin, but probably took me out of the fight or at least brought me to the ground, you know? So nothing, man. I remember beginning, you know, they're taking me to the hospital now, you know, and I was just, I got to call my wife, you know, I didn't want a police car to pull up. So, damn. Take your time. Right? Oh. I do this every time. Different parts of the story though. It's weird. So I didn't want a police car pull up, you know, scared the shit out of my wife. So, you know, I finally call her and my oldest son's five months old. He's just crying in the background. And I played it down. I was like, yeah, I got in a little incident, got nicked in the foot, got to get some stitches. Like, all right. And I let it be, you know, and then told her about it later on, of course. But I don't know, man, come that close, you know, and it's 10 years ago. Still affecting me. I'm not even on the child. So shit's real, you know. Doesn't mean you gotta go do anything crazy. It's just you get emotional about it. You know, and that's why I started this whole cops and campers retreat program. Because there's a lot of guys out there like me. You know, I need to get out of our comfort zone. To talk about this. It's not healthy. You know, it's a man-made position, you know, going around seeing all this tragedy. We sell a piece of our soul for that pension. So it's all right. We're all going through it, you know. So anyways, you know, a bad guy dies at the scene. I remember that being a shocking moment, taking a life, because I didn't get into this to do that, you know. But it was a reality I knew that could happen. And I was fine with it, you know. I mean, it's disturbing on some level. You know, you get to a real primal state at that point of battle. And I, I could almost put it back to the knights in armor fighting with sword. I was so enraged at that point, you know, and that's the problem now. I can't, I don't like going to that point if I get angry or if I get frustrated, you know, I got to learn how to dance with it, you know, and luckily I found Dr. Burnett in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida, and he's a big first responder therapist and he helped me out a lot, you know, and taught me how to deal with it and why am I feeling this way? You know, some really valuable information I got from him. But that took a battle with workers' comp. Had to fight the city. I mean, it's all the BS that we got to go through. But, you know, I did it, you know, and they freaking got me the help I deserve, you know. Yeah, and I'm so proud of your vulnerability. Sorry. <laughs> you didn't. It's actually someone who I think is watching right now. Why are you calling me? Um, and I, I want to appreciate, I appreciate everybody who is showing so much love and support in the comments too, because it takes a lot of strength and a lot of healing to get to the point where um, you have Eric and you can tell that you've put in the reps and put in the work to even be able to talk about this as candidly as you are. So I definitely appreciate that. And the fact that you sought out help and you're a testament to how much help really does help, I think is is something that we all needed to hear. And yeah, the man upstairs was watching out for you. You're all glad that you're here today. Absolutely. Um, so talk to us a little bit about what recovery was like then. Well, over the next couple of years, I ended up about six months later, I was back on the road and I had a couple of close calls, pulling my weapon out on calls. And man, to come down from that was so hard. You know, I would ride that 
emotional high and the stress and, you know, just the hypervigilance was just so there all the time. And then every call you start playing a scenario in your head about getting into another critical incident, you know, and, you know, the statistics are there that you probably are going to get into one, you know, and Austin Monroe was in one six months later after our shooting. Another one, he got a shooting and a guy trying to drive over. So I see that, you know. So I ended up getting a desk job in evidence. There was a, we had a foreign person in there because we had some issues back in the day with some civilians back there. And uh, and I was able to ride that out for the last seven years. You know, I kind of worked on my skill in evidence and learned, you know, was involved in a lot of different cases and stuff like that. It was, it was a perfect job for me at that point in my career, my family. You know, I didn't have to battle vacations on holidays. You know, I could still work details. So. It was good, but in the meantime, I was still dealing with a lot of uh, stress from the shooting. I was drinking. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't stop. You know, I ended up putting on, I got up to 248 pounds. I put on about 50 pounds, I would say. Maybe 35 pounds since the shooting, roughly. Hmm. And this, uh, I'm not sure who said this on here. Um, it just says Facebook user, but he says, hey, brother, this is, the side of the, this is the side that the general public are unaware of. We got you, brother. I've not yet pulled my trigger at work. I'm in EP, so we all appreciate you and all the other brothers and sisters. So thank you so much for that. Thank you. So, so then what? Oh, go ahead. No, I was saying, again, I put on a lot of weight. I mean, I got up to like size 42. I could see it, you know, my round, you know, fat head, as I was calling myself. And, you know, it turns out I was just, you know, carb overloaded, you know, and I thought I was doing what they said, right, you know, cut out beer, you know, eat more grain, all this crap that I found out later was just BS. It's garbage being fed to them from the food industry. And, you know, you go up the whole ladder and you figure out what's up. But... You know, I got diagnosed with heart disease. You know, they were saying my arteries were, my CAC score was just insane at 1500. And they were going to want to put stents in me. And here I am, 48 years old. What? So a buddy I played basketball with, man, he had lost 50 pounds and he looked great. He's moving around the basketball court like he was a young man. He was my age and told me about ketogenic. I'm like, keto? I thought it was some type of martial arts or something, right? So <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know. And that's half the problem. We're, you know, we're not taught a lot of things or they, they kind of push us different directions. So nutrition at that point, I started reading up about it, you know, and you use using fat for fuel and cutting out the carbs. You got to think of yourself. If you're overloaded with diesel fuel, you can't take diesel in anymore. You got to burn unleaded until the diesel starts to get burned away. So it's I really dove into it, you know, and within a month I lost like 10 pounds. I was like, man, at this rate. You know, in six months, I'll be rocking 200 pounds. And you know what? I was six months. I got down to 200 pounds. I lost 48 pounds. Um, I went down size 36, dropped, you know, three pant sizes. Um, My head got smaller. My body, you know, it turns out I had this body underneath my fat suit or my carb suit. And I just never realized all the food and everything I had been eating was just contributing. I thought I was doing the right thing, you know, and read a couple of books from Dr. You know, Dr. Barry, Dr. Uh, Saladino, the carnivore code. And I really started understanding at least my genetic makeup with me eating red meat and organs just took over. And I started eating that way and I got down to 176 pounds. I saw my abs for the first time, probably since I was an infant and I was doing little crunches then, you know, <laughs> I hadn't seen them, man. They were just, you know, I had a spare tire and my whole, I just, you know, I played football. So I always thought I was supposed to just be heavy. And that's how I ate, 
you know, and it catches up with you. You know, that's why in our 20s, we can handle it by the time through your 30s and 40s. Uh oh, you know, you start showing the signs of that diet your whole life and the stress and other factors come into it, you know, of course. But after I lost that weight, you know, guys at work start to notice. They're like, man, how'd, how'd you lose that weight? What's, the, what's this keto thing, you know? And next to, you know, keto 5.0 just came out, you know, because, you know, in the hood, they call us 5.0, 5.0, troll fear, whatever, you know? And troll, you know, keto troll didn't work, seem right. So I thought keto 5.0 would work well with the whole Hawaii 5.0 stuff. So I don't know, it stuck. And I started helping guys at work. You know, I helped a couple of guys lose over 50 pounds, you know, and it was just exciting, you know, and I had a little group text of like 10 people talking recipes. And I go, man, this is getting too much. I got to put this on Facebook. And now I'm up over, I think, 1100 now Facebook, you know, people part of my group. You don't have to be just a cop. You can be any first responder. You can be someone related to it or somebody that just wants help and likes our community. You know, we put up recipes, stories, and just stuff to get you started. Who I follow, real doctors that are against the narrative out there about what you're supposed to eat. The fight against cholesterol and that myth that they keep pushing to make money off of you and pharmaceutical. I mean, it's a whole dark world, but it reminds me of doing an organized crime investigation back in the day. And you just start seeing it. I see the cartels. I mean, I went through the drug, you know, overdoses in South Florida, you know, for years, you know. So I start helping people now. That's what I do. I travel around. I start, I got my license in sports nutrition. I'm a personal trainer. I can help guys via Zoom. I, you can call me. I can talk, just talk if you need a friend, you know, but nutrition is the only way you're really going to get out of this. You know, if you're metabolically sick, you're pre-diabetic or diabetic, you can reverse it really fast with nutrition. And they won't tell you that. I, I have this burning question and I'm wondering, like watching your friend playing basketball that day, there's one of two people, right? The person who'll say, man, that guy looks great and then shine it on. And the person like you who something something switches and maybe you were to a certain point where you decided that, you know, you wanted to emulate that in some way. So what was it that got you to that point of knowing that because it sounds like that was that moment that changed things for you? Well, also December 12, 2016, Joe Crowder right here passed away of a heart attack and he had just had stents put in a couple years prior. So I started researching stents and some of the, you know, stuff they don't tell you, you know, some of the problems that have happened and some of the complications and the pros and cons. I just want to educate myself. That's all. I wasn't trying to self-diagnose. I just want to know what it is, who makes it. You know, like I was I was doing an investigation on this stuff for my own self, you know, and once I learned about the ketogenic way of eating and I started reading it and my, you know, I saw a couple of documentaries, Magic Pill, Fat Fiction, Fat, just, just opened my eyes that why we've gotten so sick in the last 70 years. It's been our diet, introducing the corn into everything and sugar, you know, it's just crazy. You know, and then I get mad because I'm like in the 80s when I was a little kid, Pop-Tarts, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, you know, and then you go to lunch. What do you have there? You know, same garbage. It's the lowest bidder gets the contract for schools. You know, what do you think you're eating? You know, and, and it, made it, it made sense why I battled weight my whole life, you know. Yeah. In your pre-interview questionnaire, you made mention of the relationship that you've seen in the shift in food consumption and the impact on your overall brain health. So could you talk about that? Yeah, like during that transition through the nutrition, I uh, started, you know, like I'm on my feet right now. I can't sit down. I'm full of energy. 
you know, it's just I'm burning fat all day long, you know, and I don't overload the fat, I just a lot of protein. And it's just, you know, I started thinking clearly. And when you are overweight, you're inflamed. That includes your brain, you know, and it affects your thinking, affects your energy levels. It affects maybe some of your decision making at times, you know. But when I was thinking clear, man, I was just like a busy bee. Come home, my two young boys running around, you know. I'm not saying I got tired. I'm still an older guy, but it was just off the charts, my energy level. And then I realized, hey, I wasn't thinking about some of the things that I used to kind of occupy my mind with. I was focusing. I don't know. I just got, you know, you start feeling better. You start looking better. You get more confident. You kind of go down a, a different road, road sometimes in your thinking. I'm not saying I didn't think about going into a store and thinking, oh, active shooter today. You know, I mean, that's how we got to think, you know, And but it wasn't on the level it was prior. You know, and then once I retired, it was just gone, you know, but then I had that incident in New York with the flag and it brought that whole PTSD stuff right back. Can you right talk back. about that? Yeah, I was at a campground in uh, New York and the guy rolled up on me in a golf cart, didn't shake my hand, didn't intrude himself, told me I got to take down my thin blue line flag. I thought he was joking. So I turned on my phone. Finally, I get to record somebody, you know, and he's like, take down your thin blue line flag. He's punking me off, man. So I kind of lost it. And I call him like a piece of shit, some shit like that. And I cut the video off. And then the manager comes over to try to kick us out. And it's funny, the video when I'm filming her, the thin blue line flag is blowing right behind her. So I call her devil lady. But anyway, she uh, almost kicked us out. So I took the flag, put it in my truck. And then next day, reevaluated whether it was going to leave or not. And then I reached out to a bunch of friends. And then it went nuts. Local Channel 12 came out, did a story on it. I had a big like there was a big rally there where the state police stopped us from entering the campground. I mean, there's like 50 trucks, you know, with thin blue line flags. And then this cops and campers thing is what kind of that's what sparked it. We're not going to spend money at, at a campground that doesn't want us there or doesn't support us. You know, since then, that lady's now fired. They do allow the thin blue line flag there. But during that time, I had gotten suspended by the camping group Thousand Trails. For two months, they suspended me because I was belligerent to their employees. I definitely was a little vulgar. I'm not going to lie, but two months suspension. So all these other campsites opened up and said, hey, come fly your flag here. We're up in Ogdensburg. We're in Cape Vincent. We're in Ithaca. We're in uh, Chautauqua. All these places. I can't even believe I said all those without screwing them up. So, <laughs> but it was awesome, you know, and I started posting about it. And then I started a cops and campers group. And we had our first rally there last week or two weeks ago in Ithaca, New York where we sold the campground out. It's a three-day event we had. It was just a bunch of cops from different areas of the country just getting together, campfires, sitting down, eating. We drank some beers. We had a live band. We had, you know, the National Guard was out there with bounce houses for the kids, you know, the Army National Guard. And it was just an awesome time. So we're doing it again there next year, and we're trying to build it so we can spread it out, go to the Midwest, go out west where these guys need more than just us getting together at funerals. And the PBA hall or the FBA, FOP hall or whatever guys do, you know, there's a whole bunch of us out there and you might find a friend that's going to save you, man, because I've made so many more friends in this journey in two years. than I did in my whole career as a cop down in Florida. It's crazy. Yeah, we wouldn't have met. There's a great question here. I love your passion, Eric Reynolds. Question, though. 
Through my peer support training, when cops get stressed, the body craves two things, caffeine and sugar. How do you help cops or other clients of how to have a healthy relationship with their body and health when they're stressed and not just jump into sugar as a way to cope with it? Well, meal prep is huge. And you also, I try to get guys that are on shift work to fast here in that their shift. Um, I started off fasting 16 hours. So I, you know, I, I go, last meal would be 5 p.m. I would need probably to like nine o'clock the next day. Um, on shift, a lot of guys like to drink coffee and stuff. So I'll have them maybe, I, I like a little bone broth with heavy cream in my coffee. And that's nutritious. And you can ride that out as long as you're getting the minerals and the stuff. You can ride that out the whole shift. Otherwise, meal prep, I got stuff with me that I can eat cold. Simple. You know, I've eaten cold, you know, zucchini, pasta, and, you know, meatballs. I've eaten it cold. Hey, it's, if I need a quick meal. And then if you're filling your, filling your little to-go box with healthy fats with the protein, you should be satiated enough to get, get through your shift or at least get to the next point where you're going to maybe have sit down lunch with somebody or, or dinner or whatever the schedule may be there's ways around it and there's even a way to eat fast food keto you know not that i'm saying that's the way to go but if you need a triple burger from wendy's take the bread out just house that thing man trust me that'll fill you up for the next couple hours yeah and i, I really love that question because i remember a couple years ago first cycling into the, into ketosis for the first time all of those cravings disappear. And I remember being shocked at not even having any, you made mention, Eric, of the fact that those thoughts that you used to have, they're not consuming your mind anymore. And when you're in ketosis, like you, you recognize how much of your thoughts are being put on what the next meal is or what the next snack is. So I, I think that in my experience, and I know when being married to a detective, like he eats whatever I make him and it's the same thing for him. So when I'm cycling in, he doesn't have a choice and he also cycles in and it's just, it's the same thing because when you're on the go as an officer and you're ordering something out, you know, a lot of those times you get a call out and then you don't even get to eat that anyways. And needing so little and then recognizing that it's okay to first be hungry and understanding what hunger actually is. It's, it's a huge experience. And I think that what you're doing is great because if at the very least people have the understanding of that primal instinct, then it allows us to reconnect with ourselves on such a deeper level. Yeah. And I, I have cheats, you know, I'll, I'll hit a little almond butter scoop, you know, and that'll, you know, it's healthy fat and that'll hold me over for another hour until or hour and a half, depending, you know, I've drank energy drinks, you know, in a pinch, I try to get the no sugar ones. Not that the other artificial sweeteners are that great for you, but they're still better than the other, you know, how addictive sugar is. At least they're off of sugar at this point. But yeah, man, it, it's been learning about what's really in the foods. I mean, my kids, they read the back of labels. They're 10 and 6 now. And I call sugar, he's always in disguise, you know, because there's over 100 different names for sugar that the, the food industry food industry is allowed to put in, you know, on the box and the labels. So we're always looking for it. And you know, they yell at me if I eat a mint now and then. They're like, Dad, that's that's fake. I'm like, all right, get on my back, kid. You know, but they mean well. <laughs> Little keto kids, you know, and I see it. I've seen it in them. Their development, the way they are, the way they think. Um, we took them out of school in 2018, not because we were looking at a crystal ball. We just didn't like his type of learning. My oldest, he needs to be hands on. He needs to hunt. He needs to fish. He needs to run around. And then he can sit down and focus and we can teach him, you know, math reading it's got to be on his pace and this whole force him forcing him was not working for us so seeing this 
way of eating and then this type of life going to different. I mean, we saw five great lakes last summer. That's we swam in it. We drank it. We held rocks, you know, and brought them back. I mean, that's an experience I never had my whole life, you know, let alone to do it in one summer. And that was all part of the whole incident that happened in New York that got us up there. So, I mean, it's just been an awesome path. Um, like I said, I try to help as many people as I can. I've helped hundreds of people lose weight. I can help you. It's not that hard. It really isn't once you get off the addictiveness of sugar and the carbs. I mean, it, there is a little keto flu, they call it, but I call it the carb flu because you're getting all the carbs and sugar. So that's really what it is. And we can replace that. You'll be satiated. You don't have to starve yourself. You don't have to eat as often and keep your digestive system busy all the time. That's not right. That whole eat every two hours to keep your metabolism doesn't work for most of us. It might work for a few, you know, but in my, what I've seen, especially with a lot of the uh, retired female officers I've been talking to, they get all mad when their husbands lose more weight at first, you know, they eventually do get there in about a year. I've had them lose over 75 pounds and they catch up. You know, it's just, you know, it's a marathon. I mean, you spent 50 years of your life eating bad. Can't expect to change in one year. You know, I'm four years in and I feel fantastic maintaining, you know, just meat. They're trying. Of course, I discover eating meat. And all of a sudden now I'm the jack in the prices. I'm trying to talk me out of it. I'm like, this is my lifeline. Are you kidding me? I'll fight for this. So. Yeah, I quit energy drinks almost two months ago and I still crave them so much, but got to stay strong. I love the results of cutting that crap out. You're my hero. Monsters get me cornered and force me to drink. <laughs> I always seem to fall back. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's how I used to be, but I have motivation on my side now. Yeah, motivation definitely, I think, is is key to that, Derek. So can you talk to us a little bit, Eric, about what you did and the recommendations that you give to the clients that you work with when, like, the keto flu sucks, like, plain and simply, or you you don't have any kind of motivation. What are some of your tips and things that you share with them to get them through that? Well, I always do, you know, I have them write down what they're eating. I want to know what you're eating on a daily basis. What are you drinking? You know, are you dehydrated a lot? Are you missing a lot of minerals, potassium, magnesium, stuff we don't think about, even salt. You know, they vilified salt my whole life. And salt is, I mean, it's huge part of our, you know, need to be healthy. And so, I have them add minerals to their water if they're going through a little, you know, if they're going to start keto from scratch. I don't have them dive all in, you know. I've had people, they spend a weekend and they crash. Like, I can't do it. I can't do it anymore, you know. Start off slow. Find out how many carbs you are eating in a day. I dare you. Write it down. If you really want the help, write it down to yourself and go, holy cow, 500 carbs a day. Cut it down to 250. You can do it very easily by, you know, laying off one slice of bread, changing some of your sugar substitutes or some of your snacks because you're starving because you ate a high carb lunch. Now you're starving. That's why you're eating again. There's things you can do to ease into it. <clears throat> and then eventually you get under 30, under 20 grams. And you don't even crave in the carbs anymore. You know, I was cooking a steak after I got off carbs and I was drooling like a freaking dog coming. I didn't even realize it, but it, psychologically, my brain and my mouth was starting to prepare my body to get ready to eat this delicious ribeye, you know, and that's all I dream about ribeyes and, uh, <laughs> and eggs. It seems like, you know, that's, and it's easy bacon and eggs and a half of avocado. I had every day for two years, you know, and then lunchtime meal prep. I have some, you know, Sunday, if you guys watch football Sunday before the game, start working on all your food for the week, make two dishes. I make a hamburger casserole and I make a chicken broccoli casserole. And they're ready. 
and I have one every other day. It lasts me through the week. And that's what, if you really are serious, that's what you got to do, man. It's about you. No one's going to, no one's going to do it. You got to do it. Yeah. And I'm not sure who put this on here. So I'm not calling you out in particularly. Um, I'm using this as an example. They said, I'd be grouchy if I did that. So when you start to get excuses like that, because that's all that a comment like that really is. We tell ourselves that it makes us feel better. I can't do it because what what do you suggest to people who are are at that place? Always ask them, how do you feel right now? How do you feel day to day? Feel good? Yeah, maybe it's not for you. But if you're, you know, aches and pains, which is inflammation from carbohydrates, if it's just getting to you, maybe you're irritable, maybe you're cranky. I don't know. It's worth a shot, right? I mean, or you can just sit there and be miserable. You know, <laughs> I mean, usually you're cranky because you're hungry. So you got to feed that. That's what I would say, you know. So if someone decides that, you know, this might be something I can look into, or if they've never been in ketosis before, I recommend everybody in the world puts their body in a state of ketosis at least once, because it, it is incredibly life-changing with regards to the relationship that you have with food and your eating schedule. So if that is somebody who comes to you, what does the, the whole setup process look like in order to be able to work with you? Well, you mean as a client to call me and work mm -hmm. with me? Um, well, Depending on where you're located, if you're if I'm near your town, I'll come raid your pantry. And I ask people in the campgrounds all the time, like, well, if you're serious, let me come into your camper and look in your pantry. And they're horrified. They don't want me in there. Well, if you have that kind of attitude, then, you know, you already know the answer. You don't need me to raid your pantry. But if you need help in identifying toxic foods in your pantry, so I will do that. I will do it over a Zoom call or FaceTime, you know, take me to your cabinets, you know. Um, I can do meal plans. I can get your body moving through exercise where you're not hurt while you're dieting because, you know, everyone goes to the gym. I lost 10 pounds here. I get, and I'm on a mission. Oh, my back's out uh, two months, three months later, getting the 10 pounds back. And it's the whole cycle, right? I do a lot of strength training, a lot of stretching. You know, I meet a lot of older people that can't even touch their toes. So I'm not going to have them go do a CrossFit class. So they're going to start off by walking, walking uphill. You know, there's things I can work with each individual person based on your needs. But first thing I would say is we got to get you off processed foods, seed oils. You got to get off canola, anything that's not lard or real ghee butter or even pork fat, you know, beef tallow. I mean, just get off those seed oils because they've been lying to you. I mean, what do you think canola oil is? Canadian oil. Look it up. They're feeding that to us people. Okay, because it's cheap. This is a, a great question and something we were gonna <clears throat> excuse me touch on, Don. He says, I have a question. Does it help with PTSD? Absolutely. It helped me tremendously. You can ask my wife. Um, you know, losing the weight, using the inflammation, and then thinking clearly. I did see Dr. Uh, Diego Hernandez, University of South Florida. He does a type of therapy that really helped me address some underlying issues I've had in my whole life stuff in my frontal lobe that needs to get pushed back a whole bunch of weird like psych, you know psychologist stuff but i spent two days with him and it was a lifesaver for me because it got a lot of unresolved issues from my childhood from things that you know things that were tragic as a kid but maybe not tragic as an adult looking back but at that moment they were you know maybe your parents divorce you know maybe your parents have been married eight times like mine have <laughs> and you're like traumatized from marriage right so there's just a lot of things 
that that helped me with. Um, he was awesome. I can I always have information about him. If anybody's in South, you know, down in Florida, he he can totally work with you. But it was a process of getting help through a therapist, seeing, you know, different psychologists that helped me with dancing, you know, with this PTSD in my head. It was it wasn't an easy road and I still fight it every day. I battle with it, you know, and it's the constant struggle. But at least you understand, you know, why you're feeling like this. And, you know, and you're not the only one. I'm telling you, every cop I talk to a cops in Cambridge, we all have something. And yeah, and I, I I really appreciate you sharing that it's something that you still work at every single day because I have seen, especially recently, so many just false promises of like these one and dones or like a weekend workshop and you'll be you'll be fixed or you'll be cured. When you've gone through the experiences that you have, it it is something that like a memory will last a lifetime. And I think that same type of work and due diligence will also last a lifetime. And you developing the tools that you have by, you know, your own means as well as externally, I think is what what really allows you to continue to be the leader in the dance. Thank you for your help. I would like to sign up for your program. Cool. So how can somebody get a hold of you then? Well, they can hit me up any, you know, anywhere on Facebook, Instagram, or my website, keto50.com. Um, there, I have some services there if they're interested in different programs there, or, you know, just talk to me, you know, I'm open. You know, I got into this to help, you know, I'm not in it to try to make money and rip people off, you know, and I'm trying to just share my knowledge because it really saved my life. And I, you know, I do have the charge for, you know, some of my schooling and stuff to cover some bills, but I, I'm not in it to make money. I want you to get healthy. I want you to earn one of your Keto 50 20-pound coins. You know, you lose your first 20 pounds, I send you one of these. And then I set you free. You're going to already figure it out. You're going to know. So I don't need to hold on to you for a long time, you know, keep milk. Oh, I'll see you next year. See you next month. You know, get your blood work done. Let me look at it. I'll tell you what we need to do. And I got doctors that got my back, you know, that I can refer you to if your doctor's not on board. Trust me, there's a whole movement out there, you know, from low carb USA to the carnivore world. It's, I'm telling you, it's a movement and we can get the help you need. That was such an important thing that you just said. If your doctor is not on board, because a majority of allopathic physicians are not going to be on board with what you feel is holistically correct for you. So I think that's why having many modalities in the same way that you have, Eric, is super, super important. If you don't mind firefighters, no, he does not mind firefighters. When you train, do you catch yourself doing academy workouts like burpees? <laughs> well, now that I'm in a campsite, sometimes the gym's not always close by. So I will, you know, be running up and down park benches or the picnic tables. And I will, I wouldn't say I'd be doing burpees. I hate burpees, man. I know everyone hates burpees. I should be doing them. I have a ball of torture, I call it. And we roll it and it has you doing different, you know, jumps and stuff. And I swear those burpees land on me every time, you know. So I try to do push up, you know, other stuff like that. Handstands, you know. <laughs> Me too. I have a, a selfish question. Um, burpees are the devil. When you're having somebody cycle into ketosis, whether it's for the first time or in their cycle, what does the the fitness regimen look like, if at all, when they're getting into the phase of ketosis? Uh, depends how active they are already. You know, most people I've, I work with aren't that active. So, you know, when they're going through ketosis, they may find themselves walking a little more, maybe at their lunch break or one of the biggest things I ever did was I got a desk that went up and down. And I started standing, 
you know, I got me a stool. I would like I am now. I, I would walk back and forth like this all day. And by the end of the day, you know, 15,000 steps. And I wasn't a box in the evidence room. You know, I mean, we got out, but you'll just you'll just feel it. And hey, if you're pushing it too hard. Your body's going to tell you dial it down. You know, I don't want you hurt. I want you flexible. You know, and we're going to work on your overall, you know, lean muscle mass and build that up, you know, and there's all kinds of, you know, books you can get out there. I met Dr. Ben. He's got a book out about 15 to 20 minutes a day. It's resistance training. It's one and two sets of different exercises and bam, it's a wrap because you're doing everything to max failure. And that's a different way of working out, but it's quick, a couple times a week, and then you can throw in your little light cardio. I mean, there's easy ways to get, get through it. Yeah. And I have, I think I only have one more question, <laughs> but when clients come to me or people in our Facebook group, or I get emails and messages all the time of retired officers. And so many of them, unfortunately, share the same story that you just did of something happens at work and that thin blue line that's supposed to have your back no matter what. So, so often seems to just disappear into the wind and that support um, isn't always there. And so many, many officers that retire, whether it's through injury at an early age or when they intended to, they, they come to this point where after retirement, they no longer feel that brother or sisterhood and they no longer feel like they have a purpose. And that leads them into this negative spiral of, you know, depression and sadness and then their lifestyle changes and all of the things. And for you, Eric, it's so different because you have found a completely different purpose and one that no doubt was, you know, inadvertently due to your career in law enforcement, but really it, it has nothing to do with law enforcement. You found it through your personal, your personal journey. So what advice would you give to somebody who is retiring or maybe somebody who isn't retiring and they don't have that sense of purpose and that new reason to just keep going, something to give them that spark of passion? Well, I was lucky enough to have young boys and to start this travel life. So that kept me occupied. I never drove a truck and trailer like this before. You know, I'm out there at the mall practicing, you know, because I didn't want to crash the thing. And, you know, Dave kept me active, you know, homeschooling them, which we don't follow a real strict curriculum. You know, Florida is very open minded. They like kids learning through play and just seeing and doing. So that kept me active. And then obviously fall into this whole nutrition world, you know, studying and going to school during the whole, you know, lockdown. You know, it kept me focused. You know, I didn't have to get another cop job. I didn't have to go to school board or I didn't have, you know, like we see the same thing happen. That cop retired after 30 years. He just starts going bonkers. You got to do something right. And they fall right back. I'll just be cop at the local, you know, whatever golf course club or whatever. And I mean, I'm not saying that's wrong. You know, that's, you know, keeping your time occupied, but you don't have to be strictly in law enforcement after you retire. There's all kinds of guys I meet out here that change careers, you know, from, you know, being boat captains to truck drivers to where you're working for yourself, delivery guys, you know, you don't have to be answering calls and dealing with those stressful environments, you know, in those situations when you retire, come to cops and campers, come to one, start camping, man. There's a bunch of us out there. We're all looking to have a good time you know, shoot the shit, make friends. You know, I can't tell you how many wives hug me at the cops and get members of saying, thank you. You know? Hmm. Okay. It's a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing to see you 
just out there soaring in the way that you are and from all the people that you have helped, be it through finding their own nutrition and fitness regimen and, you know, you sharing your story, I could tell from the comments here is so much more helpful than you will ever know, I think, Eric, because a lot of people haven't gotten to that place that you have yet. And I know from all of the people that I communicate with on a regular basis that everybody has gone through something. So I just want to say thank you for sharing your vulnerability and of course your time with us and anybody who has any interest that's been sparked by Eric's story and the services that he provides, I would definitely encourage you to check out his website. I know we put it in the comments below keto50.com. And I want to thank everybody for your time. Continue to drop those comments. If you have any more questions, I'll make sure to tag Eric in them. And Eric, thank you so much. Thank you. And there's a YouTube channel. If you want to see some of the crazy videos from that whole flag incident and my shooting, just look up keto. Is it keto five? It's keto five. Yeah. It's, it's pretty fun to see. Now I'm driving tractors on a farm. I'm working for the summer. So it's crazy stuff. I got going on. (laughs) Cool. I'll check it out too. Thank you so much. Thank you.